Welcome to the Morning Roxy Show. I am your host, Alicia Sharp, and today we have part three of Pastor Jim Baker's message about finances and the kingdom of God. Here's Jim. Jim, whenever you hear me using this voice, this is my religious spirit voice. Jim, what you need to do, you need to start preaching that there prosperity gospel. I don't know, it just sounds more, when you say in Southern, it just sounds more religious. I don't know why that is. Um, uh, Let me just tell you this. There is no prosperity gospel, but the gospel of Jesus Christ includes prosperity. You ready for this? Remember in Luke 4, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he, uh, he he begins reading from Isaiah chapter 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And he names different conditions, and he talks about how there's a solution for these conditions. He says, for the captives, he was going to proclaim liberty. So what was the condition? Captivity, solution, liberty. Recovery of sight to the blind. Blindness, recovery of sight. Sit at liberty those who are oppressed. Do you remember what the first promise was? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus speaking. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. How is it that the good news, the gospel being proclaimed, is good news to the poor? Here's what it is. The gospel is the power of God, and when it's released, it provides a seed on the inside of somebody that in it has the fruit to get them out of poverty. What's the solution for poverty? The gospel. The good news. There is no prosperity gospel. There's only the gospel, which includes getting you out of poverty. Do you know that... um, Financial provision was actually paid for on the cross in the same way for your forgiveness of sins and the healing of your body. You guys ready for this? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's grace? Grace is what he did on the cross before you. It was God's idea before you were ever born. We're going to do a whole session on grace at the end. For you know how the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That verse is almost offensive when you first read it. Hold on, what's this saying? What's this? Let me read it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So there's two questions here. Uh, when did Jesus become poor? Why did Jesus become poor? Okay. Let me just give you the answer, that, uh, at, and I'm going to kind of back up and do it. Uh, when did Jesus become poor? For three hours on the cross. That's when he became poor. Okay, so let me just get, let's go back here. Um, how many of you believe Jesus was sick for 33 years of his life? Anybody in here believe that? He bore your sickness and carried your pain, Isaiah 53, 5. When did that happen? When he took stripes on his back and he bore it on the cross. Galatians 3, 13. Um, how many of you believe Jesus was cursed for 30, 33 years of his life? Anyone in here? If not, we got a tape, we got a CD series for you. I guess we don't make tapes anymore, but I'm still stuck in that. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Uh, When did Jesus become cursed? On the cross. You believe Jesus was in sin for 33 years. 2 Corinthians 5.20, and for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When did Jesus become sin? On the cross. These aren't trick questions yet. There may be some later. I reserve the right to do that. Okay. How many of you believe Jesus was poor for 33 years of his life? Well, we already saw that he had an endowment uh, given to him at his birth and that, he, you know, financially. But let's just look at what this verse can mean. You get two options. Number one, this is either talking about comparative, like to, in, in heaven he was so rich in comparison there, or that he was poor for 33 years, or for, I'm sorry, for three hours on the cross. Okay? And so uh, either way, 
He wasn't poor on earth. He may have been poor compared to heaven, but we already saw he's not poor on earth. And I would submit to you that he was poor for three hours on the cross. When he became sin, when he became a curse, when he became sickness, he also became poor. Jesus became sickness so you could be healed and whole. Jesus became cursed so that you could be blessed. Jesus became sin so you could become righteous, so that you could come before God with an unstained innocence. And Jesus became poor so that you could become rich in every way. Here's what grace is. Jesus got what you deserved so you could get what he deserved. Okay? Let's look at this verse again. Why did Jesus become poor? I want you to see, because when you understand this, he paid for this the same way as for your forgiveness of sins. There's probably not many people in here, when you go to God and ask for forgiveness of your sins, you're like, I don't know if he's believing that one. You, you know that it's paid for. Listen, you can't receive anything from heaven except by faith, and you can't have faith if you don't know it's available. You're just throwing something into the wishing well, hoping something happens. So we've got to get this. Why did Jesus become poor? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8 9 again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now here's the last phrase. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Well, Jim, this is talking about rich in spiritual blessings. Okay, I've heard that so many times. Um, again, the context on this is two whole chapters on finance and giving, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. That's the context. The Greek word rich in these verses is translated as material wealth every single time in the New Testament without exception. Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he also wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He used the same word. You ready for this? 2 Corinthians 9, 11. You will be made rich in every way, then you can always give freely. Here's how the Passion Translation puts it in a footnote. You will always be rich enough to be generous at all times. What's this rich going to do? It's going to have material wealth come into you so that you can be generous. Why did Jesus become poor? So that you could become rich. What does rich mean? I don't know, but let's explore it together. I'm not going to put any limits on it. I'm not going to put any ceiling on what that means. Um, by the way, is any of this good news to anybody? Yes. God would no more, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it. God would no more rather have you in poverty than he would have you in adultery. He paid for them both. Neither one of them are his will. And until you get that thing broken off of you, listen, the monks who were looked at as so spiritual, the only way they were able to take a vow of poverty is they lived off of the wealth of others who financed the monastery. It's the religious spirit that's trying to get you down and think that it's, it's humble, it's poor, this is my lot in life. That's like you saying, you know, this is just my lot in life to struggle with sin my whole life. You can choose that, but that's not what Jesus paid for. You're settling for less than is blessed. So until we break this thing off of people, we're not going to be able to advance. Listen, just try posting something positive that God wants to bless you financially on Facebook and watch the Pharisee vultures converge. <laughs> well, what about this? Well, what about this? Listen, I, I, that's why I wrote the book. I've got two whole chapters debunking all this stuff. But I don't care about the Facebook vultures. What I care about is the hometown right here. It's got to work here. And so I'm looking for a group of people who get this thing in their hearts, and let's explore together what the limits of generosity are. I like to use this. I like to have a church that is people are actually promiscuously generous. What does that mean? I don't know. Let's explore it together. I know it doesn't mean what the typical church person gives. The average unbeliever gives 2.3% of their income. The average believer gives 2.4% of their income. The Holy Spirit and a new covenant should mean more than a tenth of a percent. I'm not trying to lay guilt, but if you're guilty, take it. <laughs> I'm generous. I spend 97% on myself. 
goodness. All right. I did something interesting. I, um, I went to a New Age bookstore. I don't usually go in them. I'm just kind of fascinated by them. And I found this, this book of spells. And so I started reading it. And um, I did. I started reading it. And so I wrote down a couple here. So you guys ready for this? No, I didn't do that. I just made that up. But here's the deal. Some of you were a little bit nervous because you thought if I read a spell, something might actually happen. And yet some of you, when you read the scripture, you don't have the same anticipation of power being released. That was Pastor Jim Baker, and you can find that on YouTube if you search under Session 1, God's Ability to Produce Wealth, Zion Christian Fellowship. You can also find out more information about Jim Baker at his website, which is his church's website, zionequip.com. He's got lots and lots of resources. I know he had a class like a course on wealth in the kingdom, and it's really good stuff because the kingdom of God is all about doing things God's way, and this is what he's talking about in regards to finances. So I encourage you to check his book out, check him out at his website. Hope you have a wonderful day. I'll see you again tomorrow. God bless.